30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard Pick a card, any card. The shuffled deck, the mysterious images, the fortune teller with the Eastern European accent, peering beyond the cards to speak with surprising accuracy about your past, present, and future. Since at least 15th century Italy, the cards we call tarot have been shuffled and spread across tables, first for games and amusement, and later for divination and prophecy. While divination of various forms has long been a routine part of nearly every culture, in the last few hundred years, we've stopped cutting open animals and investigating their entrails to determine whether a wedding date is particularly auspicious. Instead, divination, fortune-telling, and tarot readings have been largely relegated to storefront psychics and New Age bookstores. And now that New Age bookstores are exploding in popularity, as well as proliferating rapidly across social media spheres, tarot cards and oracle decks are seemingly everywhere. You can read with a Hello Kitty Rider-Waite-Smith deck or an Ascended Angels Masters pack, unless you'd prefer unicorns, crystal dolphins, chakras, the I Ching, or abstract alchemical expressionism. Whatever your taste may be, have no fear, there's a deck for you. But somewhere along the way, we changed how we read cards. Whereas the fortune tellers of old spread out a deck, absorbed its obscure meaning, and then spoke to you about what they saw and intuited, nowadays getting a tarot reading frequently involves checking the manual and reciting the various correspondences. Which, to me, is the equivalent of seeing a doctor who looks you over and says, ah, swollen lymph nodes, that could be strep, throat cancer, thyroid problems, or bacterial infection. And let's see what else. Headache, that could be cold, flu, brain tumor, cranial swelling, and so on, without ever giving you their interpretation of what your unique combination of symptoms means when taken all together. Thankfully, Camellia Elias is out there advocating for a different approach. Born in Romania in the late 60s, she moved to Denmark in 1990, where she earned two PhDs and held a tenured professorship in literature until 2017, when she left the stuffy world of academia to become a tarot reader and writer. In her series of books and courses, Read Like the Devil, Camellia mixes Zen, martial arts, and war strategy to teach her students how to fiercely face down the cards and speak to whatever they're saying, rather than monotonously recite lists of abstract correspondences. Her style is fierce, her knowledge is vast, and I'm particularly enamored with the spell she offers at the end of this podcast. So come with me now, as we leave our fear behind and learn how to read like the devil. Hello, Camelia. Hello, Devin. <laughs> Welcome to Ritual Space. Thank you so much. What's our magic word going to be? 
fill your lungs <laughs> and shout it out because this requires that power. Survive. Survive. Okay, so fill your lungs, shout it out on the count of three. One, two, three. Survive. Survive. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> now that's a very powerful magic word. What what brought survive to mind? Well, you know, there's several things. Uh, uh, we're, I don't know. Yeah, first of all, we're here on this planet. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> We've made it. So, so it's it's the premise for everything that we do. But A lot of I'm, things had to go right for us to be here. Uh, yeah, that's it. You got it. So, uh, so you know, so but but it goes. I find that uh, the idea of surviving, you know, goes through many manifestations that are very close to the ways in which we get to experience life in general. You know, so and uh, given that I come from this world of cards, you know, when I when I look at cards all the time, so. Many people, for instance, connect uh, reading ta- the tarot cards or fortune telling cards or whatever playing cards. I read those mm-hmm. as well. You know, a lot uh, the Lenormand cards. You know, all sorts of cards. Many people relate them um, to some form of uh, self transformation, or you, they give you an opportunity to think about things or to reflect. You know, and this is all very good. You know, but where I come from to this work <laughs> is actually from the other end, as it were. You know. So, mm. When I read cards for people, I go to war. I go to war with the problem, you know. <laughs> and it's like, unless I'm equipped to go and win that thing, you know, then I'm no good. So, right. you know, so, so I'm like, people coming to my table, they all struggle with something. They all, they all, they all want to overcome something, you know, a challenge and an issue, you know. And it can be anything, you know, from love, work, you know, health uh, problems, you know, Um uh, money, money problems. You know, there is always a problem on the table that people just want to cope with, or you know, they want a solution for, or some form of strategizing. So unless you have your war manual down, as it were, you know, like let's see how we can survive this thing. You know, uh, so I, I thought about it, and I thought, how can, what am I all about in my work? You know, if mm-hmm. I, if I don't talk about just being here, you know, that is general, general for all of us. Then I thought it's about surviving. You know? <laughs> Yeah. How do how do we survive? You know, how do we survive ourselves? <laughs> There's lots of poets who have already talked about that one, you know. So forget about issues that we need to survive. You know, how do we survive our own being, our own having been born, you know? So <laughs> you call it the inconvenience of having been born, you know. So the inconvenience so, you know, of having been born. I like that <laughs> phrase a lot. Yeah, well, that that is my fellow compatriot. Uh Emil Choran, you know, so the, mm-hmm. philo- the Romanian philosopher. So he wrote the whole book about it, you know, the inconvenience of having been born, <laughs> where he laments, you know. And I'm like, man, I mean, you should thinking, be thinking about surviving. <laughs> and then you, know, you may have a different view on, of it, yeah. So that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the thing, yeah. I mean, the that's the premise for my magic word. <laughs> so before we march into battle with the cards themselves, I'd love to learn... What is your earliest memory of cards? Where did where did you come into fortune telling and and tarot? Oh, actually, it's an interestingly enough. I'm not even sure that anybody asked me that question. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> that has to be a first. Time. I mean, this, is, this is the podcast for new questions for asked new by questions. a wizard. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, sometimes you think, man, how many times am I going to tell the same story? And you want to hope that the audience changes, though. <laughs> Yeah. On occasion, it's the same people, you know, and you think, man, people are going to get tired of my ass. So, <laughs> um, so the thing is, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I think what's the earliest memory of it? I think I was a little girl, you know. Uh, mm, I could, coming from Romania, everyone was invested in some form of divination. Mm-hmm. And the most common would be reading playing cards and reading coffee beans. <laughs> <laughs> so to be honest, I think, I mean, I could go as back as the, the earliest memories when you just, I mean, I don't know, four or five. <laughs> and and you, you never think about it because it's just part of your daily life, you know. So it's, it's like we read cards and we look into the coffee cups, you know, or you just, we, we used to have Turkish coffee, you know, that, mm-hmm. that makes a lot of beans at the bottom of the cup, you know. So, so we would turn the, the cup, you know, upside down and we would leave it there to rest for like five minutes and then we would just all go and look at the patterns, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and that would be just something um, to do uh, and it would accompany a general conversation. So, I mean, mm-hmm. people wouldn't necessarily conduct these two discourses at the same time, though that could also be the case when you would find the, the, in the fortune tellers or your neighbor next door, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um, explicitly reading the coffee beans or reading the playing cards for a, for a particular issue. But, you know, um, for the mundane use, you know, I mean, these two practices, just having coffee, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were just like, they would, and reading cards, it's like they would be inseparable and then just talk, you know. <laughs> so, um, so I don't know. So I, I think it's pretty early on. Though when I got interested in, uh, in what you do with the cards and the practices of divination and such, you know, when you, when you start, um, thinking about um, what it takes, you know, for people both to, to have a question or to actually look at these cards and <laughs> and um, and relay their hearts, you know, to a fortune teller and, and, you know, just disclose their innermost secrets. I mean, okay, depending on who you would see, because, mind you, you know, there are also traditions of going to the to the gypsy in town and you the, the one thing that you would never do that would be to disclose your innermost secrets ah. <laughs> is, i mean no no one would be dumb enough you know to keep to, your cards uh, close to your chest yeah. i mean yeah exactly so i you know so for that reason we have this tradition of the gypsies just reading the cards uh according to a set of vocabulary you know according to a set of mm. meanings or whatever you know that would be transmitted onto them um so they wouldn't be uh, relaying the question uh, or whatever they would see in the cards, relaying it back to the question because there would be no question on the table. But let's just say if there would be a more intimate setting, you know, then mm-hmm. one would always have a question on the table, you know. So that's, as far as I'm concerned, I think that my first um, incursion into the into divination was when I became aware of that very distinction, you know, and I thought, okay, mm-hmm. so sometimes we have a question, <laughs> And then the of the fortune teller goes, you know, and then uh, sometimes we don't have a question, and yet we can still have some messages being discussed, you know, or put forth. Um, and then I noticed uh, the other thing that you know, every time there would be a question on the table, then the answers would tend to be much more precise because you mm-hmm. know they would, we would have context, so we wouldn't be just shooting blanks, you know. <laughs> so you know, so I, I don't know, I can't remember how old I was, but then I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. <laughs> You know, so I started exploring um, this very dimension, you know, of divination as it relates to putting a very specific question on the fortune teller's table, you know, as it were. 
uh, and then take it from there because you know as i said we one could actually have different methods of reading the cards you can do meanings as it were where you assign a particular cultural meaning to whatever you know whether it's playing cards or the tarot cards you know and this can change all according to the cultural context, you know, the, the so-called symbolic meanings. So no problem. One can conduct the divination session accor- according uh, uh, to these rules or principles, you know. But at the same time, you know, as soon as you have context on the table, you'd see that, you know, these meanings, so-called, they would flip or swerve, you know. And then you would get to see some things in the cards that you wouldn't otherwise immediately associate with what you say, or oh, the emperor power, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or the empress of, or the high priest is what I have, wisdom, you know. So we, so I found myself completely departing from this whole arsenal of, you know, this catalog of meanings, you know, the more I would insist on, on having, yeah, exactly, the innermost secret revealed, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay, so... What is your true question? I know you have a question. Sometimes, you know, that would be the nasty one. Like, give me your true question. And when you put it that way, <laughs> things can get very nasty, actually, you know, so, or very interesting, let's just say. So well, I think I, that, that, would be, that, would, that would be my first uh, encounter with the cards, actually, or mm-hmm. my first awareness of what the cards can do, you know. And it started with realizing how, my, how important the question was or is. Well, I love the way that you've laid that out because it's, you know, there's there seems to be three elements to any reading. There's the question being asked and then there's the the random cards on the table or coffee grounds in a cup or whatever that might be. And then there's the interpretation, which is taking both of those into account, especially mm-hmm. if you have a question. You're not just interpreting the cards. You're interpreting the cards in the context of the question. Yes. And I love that you've put a focus on sort of questioning the question of, of mm-hmm. not just taking that as the the single input but then asking why is that the question why is it phrased that way what's beneath it what's coming in so when someone comes to you for a reading how do you how do you elicit a question from them how do you kind of get to the the root of what the question is mm. yeah it's it's a, it's a it's a good question well you know i mean it's things can be very simple i mean sometimes and it depends on what you want to know you know so um and yeah I mean, it's, we have uh, questions that can be categorized according to, let's just say, four <laughs> styles, <laughs> if you mm-hmm. like. You know. So we have predictive questions, we have reflective questions, we have evaluative questions when we are looking for a judgment, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have questions, you know, that maybe some would say of the more metaphysical concern, you know, like the secret. <laughs> 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 or, uh, actually, I would really like to know something about my lover's former lover. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, I mean, okay, but that that is still so. You know, so the 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 detective type of questions, or that's for the third party. You know, that's the, always a party that's missing. You know, so we have a conversation about people that are not present. Um, so you know, so if they the question it has a, a strictly predictive character, you know, then we can go like so: uh, Will I score the job uh, tomorrow when I show up for the interview? Right. Mm-hmm. So then you put down the cards, and then the cards will say yes or no. <laughs> I mean, you know, so you don't have much more information beyond that. So say, however, you know, speaking in the context of of, of scoring a job, you know, so I I actually help the, the sitters, you know, to reflect a little bit and say, okay, so what do you want with this interview? I mean, 
you are having the interview, maybe the more helpful question would be to actually ask about attitude, you know, or about, you know, what it would take for you to exhibit, you know, or display vis-a-vis the search, com- the search committee or whoever you sit there, um, you know, querying you, you know, maybe you, yeah. you want to know what kind of thoughts you can put on the table that's on, not already part of, you know, the the set uh, premise, you know, where you basically have to to uh, demonstrate that you are the qualified party, right? So that's already part of the job description, you know, so that's a given, mm-hmm. that, that's the default. But, you know, so sometimes it's also, should I just go for it? You know, like, should I be eager and should I show just, you know, like, man, I'm the person, you know? <laughs> or should Which is- just be like a little bit, you know, like, don't second guess your interviewers, mm-hmm. just be laid back, you know? So sometimes... When I put it that way, and then I say, let's look at the cards, because then then the cards can elicit more information than they're just yes or no. Yeah, you score or you don't. So if you say, well, are there any steps that I can go through? Or what's the next thing for me to do, you know, while I'm present there in, in the situation, I'm nervous also, <laughs> or whatever the case may be, right? Um, what kind of attitude should I adopt? So, you know, so... so we can always look at that kind of rephrasing, you know. So I, so I often help people with those sort of conundrums, you know. So mm-hmm. I, because I hear, okay, I know, I understand that you, what you need to know ultimately is whether you get the job or not. But maybe before you get there, <laughs> there are some other things that you may that you may want to do. Uh, well, the yes and no is kind of the the most boring question because you're going to get the answer eventually. You're you're going to find out in time whether yeah, or not exactly. you got the job. Yeah, exactly. And so, if the cards are right, then yeah. great. Yeah. But then they didn't tell you anything new. And if the cards are wrong, then great, they misled you. Yeah. So it, it's kind of boring. But I think you're right that when you get mm-hmm. down to, is this the right job for me? How should I approach my interview? Yeah. Those yeah. are a lot more. Um, there's a lot more depth that you can read into there. Yeah. So as you can see, we move here very quickly from the predictive type of question to the more reflective thing, you know, where we start thinking about alternative views, you know, of what you already know about the job description or whatever it is. I mean, this applies to all the other uh, common areas, you know, whether we talk about love or we talk about health, even or we mm-hmm. talk about money. <laughs> same, same thing applies. So, but, you know, I noticed that it just doesn't occur to people that they can put it that way. So most people, when they don't know how a fortune tell operates, you know, then they think that all fortune telling is precisely about predicting the future. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and while you can do that, you know, no, but I, mean, I don't have an issue with that. And some say, oh, I'm, I'm stay away from it, <laughs> especially in the Anglo-American world. You know, some yeah. fortune tellers or fortune tellers, they would call themselves diviners or they would use some other names that, you know, they would uh, position themselves against the four so-called fortune tellers because, you know, they are, they have a bad reputation, you see. Right. <laughs> They're yeah. always out to scalp you of your money. So, you know, um, so I'm always very amused by the, the ways in which this positioning occurs, you know, and what the arguments uh, go, um, go into it. <laughs> mm. And often there is no argument other than just nonsense, you know, so that which makes it even more amusing. But, you know, so, so the thing is that people who think that the fortune teller will never provide anything else other than this, yes or no. <laughs> I mean, and again, that can be the case. Like, for instance, I read for, for people who play the stock market, you know. So, I mean, I can tell you this. They, they are not interested in the reflective type of questions. <laughs> in the spiritual self-transformation, or let's, let's uh, think about 
my personality and I'm into, I don't give a fuck about that, you know. So they just want to know that this portfolio or the other portfolio will score better on the stock market. <laughs> and for, for those kind of questions, I lay down the cards and then I just have a look at them and I say, it looks like portfolio number, number. And then they will often have these weird numbers or acronyms, you know. Yeah, of <laughs> often they, I have no idea even what all that shit stands for, uh, but I still read for it, right? So I just look at the cards and I say, okay, go with this one or go with this other one, you know. And then some people are like, oh, wow, you can't do that because, you know, how about the accuracy percentage? You know, there mm-hmm. is yet another thing that's big in the fortune telling world or anything. That you, and I have another thing that amuses me also. You know, some insist, no, my accuracy percentage is 98 or 80. <laughs> and yeah. it's about 50 50. And I'm like, okay, these people, they never heard of statistics. You know, <laughs> you know like the law of statistics. I mean, it's always 50 50, you know. So very amusing because the the reality of it is that, I mean, it's not different. I mean, what we do here is really no different than what the Harvard business boys do, you know, on uh, precisely on on the prediction. It's even called the prediction market, you know. (laughs) So it's, and guess what? They also operate to the 50-50 variable because there is no other variable. I mean, this is a law of statistics, right? So so how we can think that we can only... uh, um, act as fortune tellers if we somehow go beyond the 50 percent and it's like to me i i i i don't i don't can't can't follow the argument you know i'm looking for an argument and yet there is never any right (laughs) other than just like man i'm appalled unless you can predict so strictly and accurately i'm like oh fuck fuck off you know i can't i don't have time to listen to this shit Well, there's a there's a double standard that we apply a lot of the time to occult stuff where someone says, oh, if you're going to go ask the fortune teller and they give you an answer and it's wrong, yeah. therefore fortune telling is useless. Yeah. But I remember right before the the big recession in 2008, there was clips of um, Jim Cramer, I think his name is. He has a show on called Mad Money that he talks about. Buy this. Don't buy this. Here's where it's going to yeah. go. And he was just giving the worst advice. Like he was saying, no, this thing, you know, Lemon Brothers, they're fine. They're going to do great. Like buy now. And it's like those firms were dissolving. And yet that guy still has a TV show. So yeah, we're very comfortable with some things being wildly inaccurate, but other things we demand. Yeah, I mean, the reality, I mean, if you want to be honest, of course, I mean, if we don't talk about being honest, if we talk, if we talk about the, the art of the con, that's a different yeah. thing. <laughs> But if you want to be honest, you'll simply just have to 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 bow to what to what is what is uh, in reality the case. And the mm-hmm. case is that sometimes you get it right and sometimes you don't. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all there is to it, right? So it's like keep it simple, right? So don't don't uh, don't uh, don't invent, you know, these percentages. And it's like. Well, you know, like if I went to a psychologist and I said, "All right, you're a psychologist. Tell me what I'm going to do this weekend." And then they said, you're going to go get ice cream. And then I don't go get ice cream. And I said, ah, you're wrong. Yeah. That's a really dumb way to approach a psychologist. But it, instead, if I said, hey, what do I want to do this weekend? Why do I want to do that? What makes me do this thing that I keep doing every weekend? Then you can learn a lot more. So I've always I've always kind of leaned towards that approach to the cards. Of I think mm-hmm. they, they help us see more of the things that are in our question that we didn't realize and get new perspectives that we might not have considered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, and then the other thing that uh, that is exciting uh, generally about the cards, you know, whether you read predictively or whether you read for 
for a judgment or an evaluation or you just need to pass a sentence on some situation, you know. Um, It's the fact that when you lay down three cards, and I always do that. So, for instance, I never do this thing daily. Some some people have a, a practice where they put down one card. I mean, with all due respect, I think more power to them, you know, but I never find that exciting because it's like, oh, so today I'm looking at, I'm looking at the hermit. That's my daily, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so where is the dynamism here? You know, it's like, well, you can look at the hermit and then you can look at the painting by Picasso. So it's the same shit, right? So it's like, you're looking at the visual text as it were. Mm-hmm. And then you, and then it gets, and while you contemplate that, you know, you invariably, you will have some ideas in your head. So maybe with the hermit, because there is a vocabulary, you know, that, 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 um, uh, uh, contextualizes the idea of the hermit, you know, like there is, the, it comes from the tarot. So you may have already some preconceived notions, you know, and then you, your mind is already framed, you know, something with the reading or something with you go to the cave and contemplate and you ditch every, <laughs> every aspect of the material life, and all of that stuff, yeah, um, that, that is embodied, you know, culturally by the figure of the hermit. So you can contemplate on that, but but I can do that looking at the Picasso painting, right? So I, mm-hmm. so I don't I don't see why would that would be so exciting. So for me, what is more exciting is when I lay down three cards and I try to synthesize uh, three sometimes contradicting ideas. You know, so see, I'm a little mean to myself. I'm a yeah. <laughs> I'm a little sad to masochist, you know. <laughs> <laughs> perform on my mind you know like oh yeah the more contradictory the cards the better you know <laughs> because that's when i feel that my brain is stretching a little bit you know mm-hmm. because i'm like okay so how can i how can i essentialize what i see here both at the visual level that is to say going with the design you know from color from lines from dots you know <laughs> i mean everything you pick up on everything and then then these are the more uh, the symbolic associations that we also that we also have as part of this language, you know, the tarot language. So I, I look at I look at all of these variables and I say, okay, so I I need to extract one essential thought here. How can I do that? <laughs> and it will not be called the hermit, my daily. You know, it will it will be called something entirely different. You know. Uh, so I like that uh, brain exercise, you know. So, but I don't know. It requires, of course, that you give yourself the time it takes. And I, I admit that the other exercise is a lot easier. Oh, the hermit, boom, you know. So today I'm off. Uh, I'm off social media. <laughs> you know what I mean? So immediately it can inspire you to to uh, to act in part- some in a particular way or whatever. Uh, so if you do the other work, you actually have to stop, breathe. <laughs> and think for a second or more <laughs> so you need to give it the time it takes so if you don't have that time then uh, yeah the other thing is easy but, but i like to find time for it mm. you've hit on a very interesting point here which is that the whole point of cards is we're, we're interacting with symbols that are rich in meaning and i think there's a perspective that a lot of people take that's very um, analytical, where it's each card has a list of meanings, and it's almost like you're going to put them in a spreadsheet and say, "All right, I've got this card. It's one of these meanings. It's this card. It's one of these meanings." Mm-hmm. But the practice that you're describing is a lot more holistic, and you're looking at what is the picture that the three make together, and what is the sort of gestalt that arises from that, and then how does my brain stretch to to figure out? Okay, I have the hermit and the lovers. What is that telling me? Like this, this is these are two different ideas, and where is that pulling my mind? Mm-hmm. So it seems like a almost like a good exercise to just keep your 
your yeah. mind and perspective limber. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you, you call the other thing analytical. Actually, I wouldn't call it that because, you know, going through a, through a register of meanings, mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with being analytical. I mean, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, you know, being analytical is actually when you try and get um, to an understanding of how you go from A to B. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So often there is a causal relation or a logical relation you can pursue, or else there can be some, you know, um, you know, like we go with Aristoteles, right? Thesis, antithesis, you know, synthesis, yeah. you know. So <laughs> I mean, we have all these word, you know, fancy words around that, so that we can that we can use. So that that would be the work of doing analysis. You know, when mm-hmm. you when you when you consider your brain power as it as it uh, displays combinatory skills, let's put it yeah. that way, <laughs> you know. So so the other thing where you just go through a list, that's just, I don't even know if I would call it method. <laughs> that's just like, you know, arbitrary symbolic meanings, you know, that you know, we, don't, we can't even trace these meanings and say, yes, I actually know exactly where this meaning originates with. <laughs> there mm-hmm. is no, no such history, cultural history of the tarot or fortune telling, you know, that will actually anchor these meanings in some some original work or I mean nobody knows where all of the shit came from, you know. So so it's all very um locally based, culturally based. And then of course the other thing that we can all agree on, if we have to find a more universal or across the board understanding of these cards, then we would have to look at the function of each of these if we talk about the trumps of the of the tarot, that's like the the easiest to relate to, you know. So like we all know what an emperor does, you know. We mm-hmm. all know what a hermit does. Now that I just mentioned that, so you know. So one of the uh, the, the the talks that I, that I always uh, I repeat myself about, you know, is actually that the most helpful is to instead of looking at the symbolic associations, you know, that we have received from God knows where, <laughs> and say, oh, it's tradition or some other, I don't know what. Um, holy cow! I'm not interested in that or any of that. I'm interested in in function. You know, what is the cultural function we ascribe to this particular figure? That's easy enough. We can relate to that. It's tangible, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're not there with the intangible and the abstracts and I don't know what fancy metaphysics. So I'm not interested in that. So you know, so as soon as you see three functions come together, as it were, you know, then you stretch your brain a little bit. You know, you kick it up there in the combinatory phase. You know, um, and if you're a little bit good at math, you know, then then you see that it can go very fast. You know, so so uh, you know, at the end of there, say, man, I'm a genius. <laughs> 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 and you know, we all like to be geniuses now. Then, if not every day, then at least on occasion. <laughs> So at least yeah. that, that, that's the, the pleasure that I would say I derive from reading the cards. In addition to, to this other um, uh, job that we perform, you know, like, yeah, going to war with the problem, you know, like, so we're going to kill the shit. <laughs> well, you gave me the perfect segue with that because I was going to say we've, we've got the pleasure aspect of, you know, delighting in the combinations and the symbols and the kind of meanings they bring up. But I know that you bring a unique martial arts and Zen perspective. So can you talk to me more about what you mean by doing battle with the cards and and, and how you came to that framework? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I can talk about. Yes. Where can I start? <laughs> I can talk about martial. Ah, yeah, that's that's close to my heart, you know. So, if there is one thing that I like to 
to read a lot, you know. So some people think that I read the cult books or I read fortune telling books or I read philosophy books. I mean, well, now it's not a secret anymore because I mention it in all sorts of fora. I read war manuals. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like the end of the, give me soon too, anytime, you know, so the fifth century before BC, right? So it's like um, war strategists, you know, so so I, I like to know how how people think, you know, <laughs> how, do, how do you read the room or how do you read the battlefield? I mean, if you don't have that skill, you are a dead general, you know, and your army will. <laughs> so I, I just love to read about about how some of these famous, you know, I love to, to, and I, I don't want to say, you know, too many things, you know, but I spend a lot of time, you know, in, um, on um, the Japanese Sengoku period, you know, like the warring era, so the 1600, yeah. So they also, they had some very strong strategists, you know, so I'm yeah. like, wow, well, man, I want to know, I want to be in their heads, you know. <laughs> How do they see how do, so no so I don't know, I guess um yeah, Miyamoto Musashi, you know, so he was one of the most famous samurai swordsmen, you know. He he dueled, I don't know, many duels. He won all of them and back in those days, yeah, he died in sixteen forty-five at the age of sixty, sixty-one, so, or something like that. So, you know, and the, I mean <laughs> to live to that <laughs> To live to that age, that's already speaking of surviving, you know. That's yeah, when your day job is is fighting with yeah, a sword exactly. and you live to that age, that's a pretty big accomplishment. Yeah, exactly. So I'm very inspired by the ways in which he both wrote about what he did and also and the ways in which he he um, contextualized, if you like, the very idea of reading the room, reading the other, you know. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of, in fortune telling, to, to make an analogy, we talk about cold reading, you know, so that's like mm-hmm. the thing that you don't want to do. <laughs> But I'm saying, how can you, you, you will do all sorts of readings, you know, and they are necessary in order for you to arrive at, yeah, at surviving, if you like. I mean, you don't want the problem to get the better of you, right? So that, at least that is, that is my resolve, you know. So one of the things that, Mar- that, that I take from martial arts discourse to my own discourse here is this notion, you know, that of almost coming close to to displaying death resolve, you know. <laughs> it's like you, you go to battle with the problem and then you don't think, oh man, maybe I'm not, I, I think I'm going to have a, I'm having a bad hair day today or whatever day, you know. Um, I doubt myself a little bit. I look at these three cards and I have no idea what to say. <laughs> so, you know, so like I never approach the cards with that attitude, you know. So I always go like, I'm ready to die. <laughs> I'll die on this hill, you know. You know, I'm, I'll die on this hill. So, you know, so, they, they, so, in other words, there is some kind of mental preparation that goes into it, you know. So, when you go to a battle with the cards, it's no different than when you have to read the the battlefield, you know, and you have to look at the formations of the the enemy's army, you know. <laughs> you have to figure out, okay, are they doing the crane now, or what kind of bird are they doing? Now? <laughs> yeah. And if they do this bird, then I have to do the other animal or something. So, and you have to think very quickly right um so i'm totally fascinated by these strategies you know so i bring all of that which i read on a daily basis you know to my cartomacy you know so i say okay so so when i go to to war with the with the problem you know i'm always beginning with this form of preparation you know where 
yeah, you take a deep breath. <laughs> you start with them and say, and, and it's not like, I, it's like I repeat as a mantra, say, I'm going to die today again, <laughs> or maybe <laughs> not, because the, the, the idea is to survive. In fact, one of the the sayings that, um, that are attributed to Musashio that I, I love, you know, and actually, he wrote about it himself, so we don't we don't just talk about misattribution here. Uh, so, so he said, yeah, people always think that in a duel, when you have to duel with, with somebody, it's all about uh, showcasing your own uh, skills with a sword or whatever you know instrument or weapon you use. And he says, it's people got it all wrong. You know, it's never about showing mastery in anything for fuck's sake. It's about staying alive. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's about surviving. Like, can you do that? Then you are a master, you know. And the he, secret to sword fighting is not getting stabbed with your opponent's sword. That's it. That's- you know, so <laughs> staying alive, you know. So, 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 I'm, um, so it, it has always fascinated me, you know, this, this kind of. Uh, deep, if you like deep, although it's so obvious, you know, that, that there is no depth to it because it stares you in the face, right? So, the, but it's a form of universal truth, you know, that that we would all be better off, let's just say, if we thought about it some more, you know, it's like, how do you stay, how do you stay alive? How do you, how do you read the other? How do you read what you see in such a way so that things become crystal clear? You know, so I'm always interested in what clarity I bring to to my work, you know, so I, I don't like wishy-washy. <laughs> yeah. I don't like, oh, it can also mean this or it can, yeah, right, you know, the, everything can mean a, a million of things, you know, but are the are these other things relevant to, you know, what the other needs needs to know? And that's when we need to make that judgment and show some discernment, you know, so the more you're prepared, you know, if your death resolve is right there, you know, samurai style, <laughs> Then you know the more you the more you realize that you can just perform this kind of work without any worries, without anxiety that oh oh my god, then I'm just gonna lose on the stock or something, <laughs> and they're gonna send me to hell or sue me, sue my ass or something. I mean, I don't have any of those concerns. Or oh, now she told me that I should divorce, you know, and then now I divorce and now I regret it. as like okay, like you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at a visual text and what I see, you see. Hmm? And uh, the argument should be in here and there and plain in both our faces. Yeah. So it's like what you do after we're done, you know, in my cartomancy session is up to you, right? So if, if you act on what you see right here and right now, with view to executing something for the future, uh, the suffering through the consequences for the better or worse, then that is your problem, not my problem, you see. And then, and, and that's that. So, you know, so, so I guess that uh, the, the martial arts approach, you know, infuses my, my, my work also in this um, anticipation, you know, or, or rather I have none, <laughs> let's put it that way. <laughs> when I'm done, I'm done. I don't expect either that my predictions or my reflections or my enticing to do certain act, uh, acts you know should go anywhere or people should follow up on it or like i don't give a, when i'm done i'm done i mean if sometimes people won't say oh wow that was it so, and I, I appreciate feedback but i'm not a sucker for feedback you know so yeah <laughs> and I, I, I mean i don't really give a, so so that so that's that so you know so i see that on occasion the uh, the cartomancy world is informed quite often by all of these paratextual forces, if you like. I mean, all that that exceeds the, the, the frame. The, your cards here, 
read the damn cards, you know, that's one of the lines I'm known for, read the damn cards, and then leave it there, you know, so, I mean, leave it there, and then don't be concerned with any kind of consequence, and, oh, I, I wonder if I, if I rendered good service onto these people, or, oh, I hope I'm not saying any stupid things, I mean, we say stupid things every day, you know, so, I mean, what else is new, so, <laughs> I mean, so you just have to take it as it comes, but, the more you are capable of reading moods, atmosphere, the mm. atmosphere, bodies, <laughs> breath, yeah, um, lines and blobs, you know, so we're now there where we don't even see design as taking the shape of the hermit. <laughs> you just see some uh, uh, black uh, blobs uh, against some kind of negative space, yeah. So if you, so. When you are accustomed to looking at things in, in that way, you realize that the obvious, you know, will hit you much more often, you know. So then you're free from all the other from all the other concerns. But I don't know if this answers your question. I mean, I, I think I'm rambling now. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's an answer somewhere in there, but um, we're gonna we're gonna be able to sharpen our sword and and hit a little bit more precise with this next one, <laughs> which is um, uh, our spell. So for the listeners at home that are maybe reading cards or maybe are just listening and are inspired to take some of these ideas into their life, what's a small thing that they could do to bring your warrior cartomancy into their lives? Yes. See, since we are with the war metaphors, which are my my favorite. (laughs) Um, So here is what I suggest. Let's go with Mars, you know, so our friend, you know, the warrior, the one who wins all all our battles and the the one who helps us survive. So because I give you the the magic word, you know, survive, you know, in the imperative. So I didn't say surviving or anything. So, you know, I said survive. So it's take note of that imperative. Uh, So what I can do is like I can link that magic word with a ritual. Um. Now I'm I'm presupposing obviously that your audience will have some knowledge of the cards <laughs> since we are mm-hmm. with the cards. We don't talk about other things. I mean, if we talked about swords <laughs> or books, then I could offer something else. <clears throat> but uh, if we talk about cards, uh, the easiest would be. And I'm sitting here with a pack myself. My regular pack is um, is a Marseille tarot from 1650. Well, it's a facsimile, but <clears throat> but I always sit with it in my. In my hand, I tap it, I shuffle it, you know. So, but let's say Mars, Mars Day is Tuesday, okay? So, here is the ritual. On any given Tuesday, you pick whichever Tuesday you feel good about. Maybe not this coming week, but uh, actually Mars is going to enter Scorpio. Now, if I throw some astrology at you, <laughs> so and which means that Mars will be the ruler of his own place yeah so right now mars is not happy so don't do any don't do anything before mars is in scorpio wait a few days so uh so pick a uh pick a tuesday um soon and then uh shuffle your cards and uh, you will be um extracting a mantra for your surviving as a synthesis yeah from Mm -hmm. seeing three cards come together Okay, so I'll give you an example. So suppose today is Tuesday, so it's not, sorry, Jupiter, <laughs> I'm pushing you over now. 
I mean, this ritual spans all time and space, so technically it's all Tuesdays. So we're we're good. Yeah, that's it. So, but make sure it's Tuesdays because if this is this is about surviving, right? And Mars is the best uh, the best candidate here that can help you with that. Um, so you can channel channel. Let's use the word yeah, the martial power. So take your deck, a tarot deck, just the trumps. The trumps of the Marseille tarot, or else if you prefer the the um, the Rider Waite Smith, the other uh, standard uh, deck that a lot of people are, are uh, used to and like to use, I don't have a problem with any of these decks. But just the trumps, not the full deck, because you need you need to get to the to the hard uh, breath. Let's put it that way. So on any given Tuesday, soon when Mars is in Scorpio. Uh, on his own, uh, in his own house, his own sign, or the sign that he rules, he co-rules Aries and Scorpio. So, you put down three cards. We suppose that today is Tuesday, so I'm going to shuffle a cut with my left hand, if you want a ritual about that. <laughs> That's what I learned in back in Romania. <laughs> cut the deck, and then you put down three cards, so let's see what we have here. So, just I'll give, just give you an example, right? Okay, so I'm looking here at these three cards. So I say I got the moon, the tower, and the card called force. I don't know to what extent your audience is uh, familiar with these cards. Now, on the moon card, we have two dogs howling at the moon. So let me just mm-hmm. describe the cards a bit so that for the sake of clarity. So on the moon card, we have uh, two dogs howling at the moon. And then there is a crayfish trying to come up from the pool of mud, basically. <laughs> yeah. And the next card is the tower I got here. So that we have a tower. The top is in flames and two people fall from the tower. So they fall from grace. And then we have the third card called force. And here we have a woman who is trying to overcome this animalistic power or whatever, a lion. So she's struggling with the lion, trying to either open the lion's mouth or close it, depending on how you how you see things. It can, it's a bit ambiguous, that one. So let's just say you see these cards, you sit with them in front of you, and you try to extract a mantra for your surviving. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> how do you survive? Yeah. So in other words, you give yourself instruction, you know. So I would say with these three cards, yeah, the first thing that would hit my, my mind, I would say, overcome your destructive desires. Okay. Now, why overcome your destructive or else, you know, as if as soon as we want to, as soon as we want to uh, unpack a little bit, then we run into a little a, a wall, you know, because when, when you have a qualifier, overcome desire, maybe that's an easy one. Overcome your desires. So, you know, we, we can go with that because it's it's uh, embedded in these three cards. But why destructive desires? Because, you know, like what is destructive? You know, as soon as you put it that way, then people might actually start thinking and say, yeah, okay, fine. But how, how do I know? How can I discern, you know, between what is a destructive desire as against a, a desire that's, that has a creative propensity or whatever, you know? So the, the moon being the body of desire, I mean, in, in, why do we associate the moon with, the, with desire? It's because the moon, the moon's function is to, uh, to enable us to uh, enjoy nighttime with dream. And in dreams, we, you know, <laughs> our desires, innermost desires, unconscious, some would 
later moon with the unconscious, you know, there is lots of stuff happening, you know, the crayfish is suggestive of that symbolically, you know, all of that nasty stuff is <laughs> trying to get to the surface of things, right? So we associate the moon with desire. So there's a, but what kind of desire? When I see the tower following the moon, I'm like, oh shit, this is not a good this type of desire. <laughs> you know, like this desire is going to render me in the ditch. And so when we talk in the context of surviving, right, then you want to see what, what's next. So luckily I see, I see force. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see the card of force. And then I look at the, and then I look at the card and then I say, okay, so I can see that this woman is uh, uh, a lot, um, what do you say? Uh, bigger in size, you know, so she has more power. She can overpower this lion. So, uh, it's very easy to infer then that if you overcome your destructive desires on condition that you actually can know what is a destructive desire or not, then you are fine. <laughs> you will be fine, you know what I mean? So You will survive. You will survive. So, so overcome your desires. Now, of course, if you were to put it in Buddhistic terms or Zen terms, you know, so they would say, well, duh. You know, <laughs> like, okay, are you so clever? Aren't you so okay. clever? You know, um, the whole the whole precept for the whole wisdom of, of, of Buddhistic thought, you know, in philosophy is that desire is that which you, which makes us miserable. And if we uh, crash and burn, it would often be due to the fact that we, we you know, give uh, free reign to all that which is... Um, we sanction too many uh, inappropriate desires or whatever, yeah? So we can have all these, again, modifiers, qualifiers, or whatever. So I thought I could just, although your audience is not going to see, but you can see the cards. But I can see. It's, it's all so, about me. Now, those are beautiful cards. And yeah, I, I love how quickly that, like, you you pulled yeah. those meanings together that, uh, yeah. yeah, overcome destructive desire. What a, what a great mantra. Yeah. I'm excited to uh, find a good Tuesday to, to get my own. Yeah. So, but but you see, you'll have to. You are on your own with this. Now, I just gave you an example. Of, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of how you can do it yourself? So pick a Tuesday, any Tuesday, preferably when Mars is not miserable, and then and then uh, and then uh, throw down three cards and try and extract uh, the essence of those three. So don't just yeah. say the moon is for this and the and means this and the tower means that and the force means i mean that's just so goddamn boring i mean you don't mm. want to die from boredom i mean my speaking you want to survive boredom <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to die from boredom you know so so stretch your brain a little bit because it doesn't it's not very difficult you know and go with, with this quickness you know like and uh Often people ask me, yeah, but how can you read so quickly? And I say, it's because, precisely because I don't read the cards via the sim- symbolically assigned meanings and all that. That's mm-hmm. not interesting to me. So I just start with at the level of function, you know. So like, what does the moon do? What what do I yeah. see in the tower card? I see two people falling from grace. So that can be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this woman is uh, overcoming that animal, you know, or at least, you know, so... Um, <clears throat> She is taming it, or we can we can uh, we can propose all sorts of uh, interpretations there. But I mean, the gist of it, you know. So so the gist of it will be revealing itself very quickly, I would say. So and then formulate it as one sentence. Keep it simple, like overcome your desire, or in this case, you overcome your destructive desire, and then uh, and then you'll survive. <laughs> I think that's a, a really wonderful thing too to take to readings. Um, I've done readings at events where we'll we'll do a tarot reading and then we'll write a short poem but i think sometimes 
you can just get lists of this card has this many meanings, this card has this many meanings, this card has this many meanings. And then the person walks away with like a whole bag of what do I do with this? And if you bring it down to a single sentence that kind of forces you to say, here's the, the, the tip of the spear, here's exactly what it's saying. And you can think about that and let that continue to, um, to reveal more meaning, but you have the essence of it to, right. to take with you. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, obviously, I mean, and the idea is <clears throat> what I like about this method of reading the cards, you know, that, that, I, that, I, that I actually, I didn't dub it myself. It was one of my friends who said, Camellia reads like the devil, you know, yeah. <laughs> before, you know, I have a whole business, but I have a whole trilogy of books that's called yeah. Read Like the Devil, you know. So, but, you know, it's like, I don't start with, with unpacking i don't start with offering unnecessary goddamn information you know so what i start with i start with the essence of things right i can unpack the shit after you know because i can talk about these three cards for another three hours no no problem and i can even lecture on the hist on the history and what else we have and goddamn but you know uh what what we should keep an eye you know it's it's the relevance of things you know like yeah. don't and i don't know maybe that's just my zen inclination I'm, and also the martial inclination I, i'm just not a very patient person you see i don't i don't like wasting my time with them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you know so give me the goddamn essence and then i'll see if it's necessary to unpack some more beyond that and if it's not then just shut the fuck up you know and then go home and think about it yourself you don't have to share it with me <laughs> I don't need to to say at the end of it, oh man, I relate to this, you know. So I mean, we don't need to have that kind of conversation. It's the same thing in journalism. It's like you want to put the most important stuff at the top. So if I'm scanning it, I'm like, oh, here's what happened. The president was assassinated yesterday. That's the important thing to know. And then I can get down and figure out what color shirt the assassin was wearing. But I I think that's that's really well put of don't just kind of meander. And then the person's left wondering like, wait, where was the where was the answer to my question? Was it somewhere in there? Yeah, the only difference is, I guess, from from journalism, you know, uh, you would what you would need to perhaps also be aware of is that you need you need to be able to back to back up your your claim with some evidence from the cards you know so that yeah. it will, at the end of the day it won't just stand there as a clickbait you know <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I'm, so i'm not advocating for the one line mantra you know or the yeah. one liner approach or the quick yeah. you know uh, reading you card. won't believe what these tarot cards have to tell you yeah. about your fiance <laughs> yeah exactly so it's like in a way just as I just as I try to to demonstrate here, though we don't have the visuals, or the audience won't yeah. have the visuals for what I'm talking about, you know, um, you deliver that one line, but at any time I'm prepared to defend what I'm speaking of. You right, know? right. <laughs> My death resolve, you know, it's like you are, you are welcome to come at me. <laughs> <laughs> See who, who, who will survive, you know. So and it's not sure it will be you because you know my death resolve is perfectly clear. <laughs> Well, I'm grateful that I survived this interview, if barely, with my with my life. And, you know, what, what doesn't kill you makes you wiser. So, um, Camelia, thank you so much for your time. This has been lovely. Thank you. For more of Camellia's work, visit CameliaElias.com, which is C-A-M-E-L-I-A-E-L-I-A-S.com. There you'll find her many books, her courses, the blogs she's written. There's a lot on that website. So if you want to learn more about reading like the devil, go check it out. And if you'd like to learn more about 
reading, writing, and doing ritual like a wizard, visit patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual, where our community of podcast ritual participants is continuing to grow. And recently, we released our first ever seasonal ceremony, which is a very cool listen-along ritual that gives you all the instructions you need to perform this magic ceremony yourself and increase your opportunity, which is one of the best forms of magic, I think. It's a very nice way to interact with all of the random happenings floating and flowing through the universe around you and to use that magic to draw some good things your way. So if you're interested in that, visit patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual where you can join in on all of the magic that's happening there. Until next time, I'm your wizard, Devin Person. I believe in you. Your magic is real. <laughs>